what has propelled me to continue going forward is that we need to have conversations that stem from their own epistemologies, ontologies, worldviews, and their own Indigenous knowledge systems and can do that in a way that doesn't always have to go back to explaining the basics of, of their lived experiences. Hello and welcome to the Fourth Space podcast. In today's episode, Anne-Marie Turcotte, who's a Concordia PhD candidate and a public scholar, has invited Natasha Blanchett-Cohen and Elizabeth Fast, both experienced researchers and Concordia professors, to discuss how can researchers engage with Indigenous peoples and their communities in order to produce meaningful and ethical research. We would like to begin by acknowledging that Fourth Space and Concordia University are located on unceded Indigenous lands. The Cuyuncahaga Nation is recognized as custodians of the lands and waters on which we gather. And Chichage, Montreal, is historically known as a gathering place for many First Nations. We respect the continued connections with the past, the present, and the future in our ongoing relationships with Indigenous and other peoples within the Montreal community. So my name is Anne-Marie Turcotte, and I am a PhD candidate uh, as well as a public scholar here at Concordia University. I've been working with in with you in Nunavik for the past 15 years, and uh, my research investigates in with youth experiences in relation to housing. So through a very common act of property destruction, the breaking of windows. So we must, uh, I must say that uh, Nunavik is currently undergoing a very important housing crisis with half the population living in overcrowded condition, and the breaking of windows is the most common form of property destruction. So. I, through investigating youth and this action, I am trying to learn more about their experience in relation to housing. So as part of the public solar program, we have the mandate to organize uh, knowledge transfer activities. And very selfishly, I thought that I, as well as other uh, scholars who are interested in collaborative research approaches, would benefit from hearing from two experienced scholars in that domain. So since I am right in the middle of my fieldwork and I have a lot of questions to ask, I will take the role of moderator as well as the role of the person who wants to learn. So representing maybe part of the audience that have many questions. Maybe we could start just by asking our guests to introduce themselves. So Elizabeth, you would like to start? Thank you. Hello, everybody. Tanshe Kiowao. My name is Elizabeth Fast. I'm an associate professor here at Concordia in Applied Human Sciences. And I also uh, teach some courses in our indie program, which is an individualized and interdisciplinary and uh, as well as first people studies I'm Métis and Mennonite uh, from St. Francois-Xavier, Manitoba, and thanks for having me today. Yes. Hi, everybody. Thank you for having me, and uh, nice to share the conversation uh, with Liz. So uh, I'm uh, also a faculty member in Applied Human Sciences, uh, current graduate program director in youth work. In the context of this presentation also, uh, I'm co-chair of the Quebec Youth Research Chair, uh, particularly the Indigenous Stream, and I have the pleasure of teaching research methods with youth and community youth development. So I'm glad to be here. 
My first question is for Elizabeth. Uh, you have been involved in the Indigenous Direction Leadership Group here at Concordia, uh, which I believe was created in the movement of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. During your mandate, you went through an extensive uh, consultation process with students to come up with an action plan. So can you tell me how these activities influence your perspective on university in general and on your way of teaching? Uh, I also wanted to hear a little bit more about your classes and what indigenous research methodologies are and if there's a common thread to these methodologies. So yes, I was a part of the Indigenous Directions uh, leadership group when it first got started um, in response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. Uh, and we did consultation with students, with faculty, with community members. Um, and I think what has propelled me to continue going forward. And what we really heard from students uh, at that time and continue to hear is that we need to have, they need to have classroom experiences where the 101 or like the introduction to Indigenous studies and have um, conversations that stem from their own um, epistemologies, ontologies, worldviews, and their own Indigenous knowledge systems and can do that in a way that doesn't always have to go back to explaining the basics of, of their lived experiences. Uh, they, they need professors to understand those lived experiences and have done their own work, uh, informing themselves and educating themselves. Uh, they need to have course content that stems from Indigenous knowledge systems, and they need access to land-based learning opportunities. That has definitely influenced the way that I teach and some of the courses that I've been lucky enough to have support in creating. One of those is Indigenous research methodologies and pedagogies at the graduate level. Uh, another is a, a first time this summer we're collaborating with a student from an Algonquin student, Emilio Wawati, and developed a course uh, with his community that will happen on Algonquin territory, hopefully with COVID depending. Uh, another course has been to create critical Indigenous perspectives in my department, Applied Human Sciences, where many of the students go work in community-based settings and uh, need to understand th the basics of critical Indigenous perspectives and why these commissions and what they reported are linked to working with Indigenous peoples and communities and how they need to have that knowledge in order to do that in a safe and effective way um, and in a way that builds relationships with communities and treats them as the experts. So in terms of what is Indigenous research and Indigenous research methodologies, I, I mean, ideally, Sean Wilson talks about Indigenous research, which is... Um, research that happens in relation with Indigenous communities, sometimes by Indigenous researchers and sometimes by allies or accomplices. And this is done in a way that treats local peoples as experts of their own lives. There's also research done on Indigenous communities, which I think we've been trying to move away from and which commissions have named as harmful. And so I'm not going to talk too much about that today. Uh, but in terms of re Indigenous research methodologies, um, I like George Sefa Day's uh, definition. So I'm just going to read that briefly. And he says, ultimately, I would argue that Indigenous research is a complex, decolonized approach of producing, interrogating, validating, and disseminating knowledge based on Indigenous people's cosmology, worldview, or world sense. And he cites Oyuima uh, Wimi. Indigenous research is rooted in diverse Indigenous values systems that bring with them their own methodological and theoretical framework accepted by an epistemic community of Indigenous peoples and not just quote unquote, only in certified Indigenous scholars. So I think, 
you know, in line with the theme of this talk that Indigenous methodologies stems from our own worldviews. Um, and so there are, of course, a lot of overlaps between our nations and the way that we um, view holistic relationships with our natural world um, and bring in not only intellect, but also the spirit, the emotional and the physical aspects of ourselves to learning environments. And to me, that's the framework that uh, has some uh, commonalities among Indigenous research methodologies, right? So it's not just the what we do or that focus part that often Western academic research focuses on, but rather where we come from, how we're coming at research and in relation to each other and um, and the work itself. For you, Natasha, with Indigenous youth, or more specifically in your way of apprehending research, can you explain to us what positionality is and how important is it to place youth at the center of your research? I would maybe pick up from Liz's point. I mean, I think if you're working with Indigenous people um, within the context of Indigenous methodologies, positionality is really um, critical. I think it's about acknowledging and that knowledge is situated, um, it's political. So you need to name um, your identity as a researcher uh, and reflect through that process. So for instance, in the, my case, that was super important in undertaking my, my role in the youth research chair to acknowledge, name myself as, as an ally, as a non-Indigenous person, um, with mixed ancestry, a mother uh, raising biracial children, all of those different elements are important for me when I enter into my relationship with partners, but also in terms of situating the knowledge um, that I'm gathering. Um, I think positionality is, is around accountability and building that relationship of trust. And I mean, I think if you work with elders, elders will always start by saying, um, you know, I'm drawing on this knowledge based on my experience, based on my location. And I think there's something definitely related to to that, situating your knowledge and not presuming that um, this is neutral, uh, universal, generalizable. Um, so that's where there's a big distinction, I think, um, in making positionality explicit in your research and it's a source of of, of strength and, and validity I think with respect to bringing youth at the center I mean it's also acknowledging I'm not a young person I'm not an indigenous person so I need to state that up front um, and be clear around what my role is and where I'm coming from you know as a young scholar or you know later on in your career you're thinking about your positionality will also evolve so I think that's something very important if you embark on this collaborative research to to take the time um, to think through these things. You know, with respect to um, bringing youth at the center, um, a couple, two, you know, three years ago when there was this opportunity to take on this proposal for the youth research chair, I was like, why, why me? I, you know, I couldn't, am I the right person? I went through this whole reflection and I was kind of paralyzed for a moment of whether I would, I had the, the right to do that. And then I had to do my journey. I, I, I found meaning in my name from my husband's um, in his Calabic culture. When your, your first daughter is born, you are given a name. The couple is given a name that uh, in our case, it was Menang uh, Ulung, which means that you are a convener. Uh, you are an uplifter. But 15 years later, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that is 
I can come back to that. And that is my role. And I, so I found meaning in, in that name. And I think this around bringing youth to the center and your role as a researcher in this network is about creating a, a platform uh, where youth can engage um, counteract sort of a monolithic view of youth, uh, an often deficit-based of youth um, that has uh, prevailed in in research, particularly um, in Quebec, in, in you know more francophone research, perhaps. Um, so, so I think positionality is something that I think is really, really key, um, and it can be sometimes hard to do, but it can also really help. I think speaking to the point that Liz was saying around um, deconstructing this hierarchy of knowledge, kind of like the researcher knows everything, they're neutral, and the participants you're taking in knowledge from them. So I think it's something very central to the work that we're doing. In the last few decades, there, there has been an increased presence of Indigenous people in urban areas. More than 60% of Indigenous people live in cities and urban areas. I was wondering if this had an effect on research within Indigenous contexts or research methodologies. I've only done research with Indigenous people when I'm invited um, to do research. So my research in Quebec uh, with Indigenous communities uh, was initiated by an invitation by the Friendship Center in Val d'Or, um, so an urban setting, and they were interested. They found meaning in my sort of more strength-based research approach and more alternative methodologies of doing research with young people, and they said that they would like to collaborate to document some of the programming that they were doing um, to better understand, justify sort of their culturally safe uh, practices that they were doing my research uh, has been largely based in urban areas, um, although I think it's important, and that's something that's come a lot in my research, is that the connection between urban and community remains really strong. So I think sometimes we sort of, statistics wants to come up with 60% are urban. And, but I think those, when you actually talk to people, um, there's a lot of going back and forth um, between the community and the urban area. Uh, we did this research um, a few years ago with the uh, National Friendship Center in five cities across Canada around school transition. We discovered that 80% of people were experiencing school transitions that were not the conventional transition, you know, from primary to secondary. And why um, these forms of transitions were marked mostly because they were going back and forth between community and city and among cities. So I think sometimes we mustn't forget, again, we must never plug, you know, urban versus uh, community. There remains a lot of um, interlinkages around that. But I think my research has been often in collaboration with urban Indigenous organizations who want to document um, the work that they're doing. Yeah, I think, again, that my inclination to work with directly with youth and have their voices front and center, um, and now in my work, uh, youth and elders uh, on community advisory councils, recognizes what I was talking about earlier, which is that we all bring our own expertise to to the table and that there's not there's not this hierarchy of knowledge. And so um, to me, it really reflects an Indigenous methodological approach to work um, in this way in both putting together what is important that we're, we're working on and also creating opportunities that don't otherwise exist. So another core part of Indigenous methodologies is 
is creating transformative um, and healing opportunities for youth and for our communities that have been so impacted by colonization. And in my case, that has started out with my PhD research looking at cultural identity and connections for urban Indigenous youth and has now moved into land-based work and land-based healing among youth with a sort of centering and prioritization of queer youth experiences, queer Indigenous youth experiences. Yeah, I think it, it overlaps with my teaching approach, which you asked about as well earlier, which is very, very also much collaborative. So I never, I have a, a great discomfort with putting myself either at the front of a research project as a, you know, a lead investigator, like a lot of the tri-council and funding bodies still ask us to do. And I feel that same discomfort in, in classroom settings. And I think that, again, is really reflective of the teachings that I've had that don't necessarily place academic knowledge above all else. And in, in a lot of cases, it's not, you know, it's it's not lived land <laughs> cultural experiences. And those are, the, to me, the ones that need to be uplifted and centered in, in our work. And so working in collaboration with youth who know what they need in terms of cultural reconnections, connection to land, they're the, the experts. Uh, I've learned so much from them. Um, it's been really valuable to me to have their voices front and center in guiding the ideas around the research and how it plays out. And to me is also a way of ensuring that the research is ethical and, and doesn't perpetuate harm. Because although I am Métis, I also um, am only one person with only one set of experiences. And so I think it's really imperative that we have that collective voice and have that pushing forward what the research priorities are and not just coming again from from that one one person, no matter what their positionality is. The sort of research you both do do is like very there's a very long term and very profound engagement uh, of yourself in your research with your collaborators. For students or people that are beginning or thinking about doing this sort of research, it might be scary at first. It's a slow process and we're in a, maybe in, a, in an era where it's produce, 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 go fast, do a lot of things. And this is relationships uh, between people. And then you have to respect the rhythms, the different rhythms between Uh, the people you work with, as well as your own personality, values, and rhythm. Thank you for your generosity in participating in this event, but also thank you for doing this kind of research, maybe paving the way for a more ethical and relational and impactful research. So thank you. It's, it's probably, it's challenging research, but as you've explained, it's also uh, very rewarding. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Fourth Space podcast. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at CU Fourth Space and wherever else you find your podcasts. The podcast is hosted by me, Douglas Moffat, and produced by Anna Voklovec. Editing by Chloe Lalonde and Mackay Hawgrove. Social media and web support by Kari Balmstead. Our theme music is courtesy of Supercontinent. Thanks for listening.